Welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Craig Johnson. Got a whole lot going on this week uh, from the United States to the rest of the world. Uh, just a whole lot of activity on the right wing globally. Starting off with news from the United States, we have the what is probably the last Nazi prison guard to be deported to Germany from the United States. Uh, this is coming after prosecution from a part of the Justice Department that has been tasked with finding and convicting Nazi collaborators and, you know, actual military personnel of the Nazi regime for their participation in the Holocaust uh, ever since World War II. Uh, the man's name is Friedrich Karl Berger. Uh, he had been living in Tennessee for the last, you know, 60, 70 years uh, after he moved there following World War II. He was recently convicted of being a guard at the Nuengamme prison camp, uh, which was a prison camp, a concentration camp as opposed to an extermination camp. But like all prisons like that, that meant um, working prisoners to death, not feeding them adequately, not providing them with adequate health care, um, treating prisoners as tools for the German imperial system. Uh, Karl Berger's defense is that he is old and that he was just doing his job. Uh, the answer to that is go fuck yourself. Nobody cares. Uh, you are an actual fascist and a Nazi. Um, he is being deported to Germany where he faces no charges uh, because Germany doesn't deal with uh, all the people who participated in the Holocaust in this particular way, because if they had, they would not have had a military or, you know, much of the state apparatus immediately after World War II. Uh, unfortunately, Berger is probably the last person uh, to face this kind of prosecution. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, um, because uh, according to the prosecutor from the Justice Department, all the other ones are dead. Uh, speaking of Nazis getting uh, convicted, uh, Christopher Cantwell, a neo-Nazi podcaster, was recently found guilty of extortion uh, within neo-Nazi circles. You know, he was he was extorting a fellow neo-Nazi. He got 40 months in prison. Uh, Cantwell is known as the crying Nazi um, because he cried at his conviction. Uh, speaking of other uh, right-wing figures in the United States, Mike Pence is not attending CPAC, uh, which is coming up in next week. Um, that's pretty reasonable, you know, considering that some of the people at CPAC were inciting a mob to go and murder him uh, not two months ago. Uh, this is the ongoing fallout of the January 6th coup. Uh, we're going to be continuing to see that for the remainder of well, Biden's presidency and possibly for the remainder of our lives. Speaking of CPAC, AFPAC, America First PAC, which brands itself sort of as an alt-right, you know, a far-right answer to CPAC, is uh, supposed to be happening tomorrow in Orlando, Florida. We'll have more news about that, you know, next week after it actually happens. The Pentagon is doing a an extremism sweep, a probe of uh, armed forces within the United States to try to find people who belong to the extreme right uh, within the United States military. That's going to be difficult, uh, partly because, you know, as I've said time and time again, and as other sources have said time and time again, the right wing and the military just work together extensively and sort of naturally. Uh, the Secretary of Defense himself actually believes that this probe will find a lot more evidence of collaboration with right-wing figures uh, than the Pentagon is really honestly prepared for. Exactly what they're going to do with these kinds of connections, uh, especially in light of shit that is coming to light from the January 6th coup, um, is 
uncertain. Additional news about the far right in the United States, we have um, Tusita Latose, uh, who is known as Tiny, uh, a prominent Proud Boy activist and a member of the organization for several years, uh, very famous for um, publicly punching and brawling with people in 2018 uh, up in Oregon, uh, has served as the sergeant at arms for an Oregon County's GOP meeting. Now, the Oregon County GOP says like, hey, that's not actually that big of a deal. You know, anybody can serve as sergeant at arms. And yeah, you know, if anybody can serve as, as a sergeant at arms and that means that like an actual violent fascist can do it. Yeah, that's a problem that is actually quite a big deal. And this is ongoing evidence of the continued collaboration between the Proud Boys and especially the Republicans in Oregon. This is also coming off of an Oregon GOP meeting at which they failed to, like they refused to condemn political violence. They, they, they just, they think that political violence is necessary sometimes, uh, which is actually the dividing line uh, between the extreme right wing and conservatives per se. However, the biggest news coming out of the United States uh, comes from the defense attorneys of one of the Oath Keepers. Now, the Oath Keepers are one of the militia groups currently active within the United States, and they were a large part of the organization of the January 6th coup attempt, uh, the rally and also the storming of the Capitol itself. One of the leaders of the Oath Keepers who were active at the rally on January 6th, uh, her name is Jessica Watkins, uh, has been charged uh, with conspiracy by the federal government for her participation in the coup. And in her deposition, in her defense, um, she said that she was there uh, to provide, quote, security for legislators, end quote, and that she had, quote, met with Secret Service agents prior to the coup. Uh, this is from Reuters. Now, that's a big fucking deal. This is disturbing. Um, this is part of her defense um, that 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 she was collaborating with one part of the government as she was storming another part of the government that was at the time debating and approving uh, the transition uh, between one president and another. Uh, this is again a quote uh, from her attorney. Ms. Watkins was present not as an insurrectionist, but to provide security for the speakers at the rally, to provide escort for the legislators and others to march to the Capitol as directed by the then president. That's Donald Trump. Continuing the quote, and to safely escort protesters away from the Capitol to their vehicles and cars at the conclusion of the protest. She was given a VIP pass to the rally. She met with Secret Service agents. End quote. So the claim here is, you know, like, oh, you know, she what she just got caught up in the violence of the rally, I guess. But but underneath this is the claim that the rally, the activities at it and the actual coup attempt, the actual storming of the Capitol was not just approved, but planned by a part of the executive branch. Now, this is what people have been saying for, you know, an extremely long time after the coup attempt. Um, and if it is true it represents a major shift in the narrative. This is no longer just like a mob that Trump used or incited or like riled up in order to be, you know, in order to get all crazy and decide that they wanted to storm the Capitol. If this is true, if we can prove that this person met with the Secret Service and got their approval for her participation and behavior at the rally, that is one more piece of evidence that 
the storming of the Capitol and the attempt to disrupt the approval of Joe Biden's election as president of the United States was a an orchestrated coup attempt by former President Donald Trump. That's an extremely big fucking deal. It is major evidence of actual coordination between the executive branch and capital security personnel and those who actually participated in the coup. We will obviously see more and more evidence of this coming out uh, as uh, Ms. Watkins actually goes to trial uh, and as the trial continues. Um, but we're just going to have to stay tuned for this shit. Um, I'm really disturbed. I'm really uncertain about the kind of evidence that we're going to be seeing. Uh, it's going to be fascinating and terrifying. For international news on the right wing this week, we have the continued ongoing protests against the military coup in Myanmar or Burma. Uh, the military coup that happened earlier this month has, you know, solidified as it's had more and more time in order to uh, actually take up governance of the country. There have been mass protests uh, in the streets of major cities in the country against the military's takeover. However, the military has been responding with serious force. Uh, they've been using um, anti-riot measures, rel relatively common anti-riot measures like rubber bullets and um, hoses. Uh, but they've also started using live rounds against protesters who have not yet backed down. Um, but it, it's sort of uncertain as to how long protests like this can endure against military that is actually just 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 shooting at protesters, shooting to kill them. Um, China and other regional powers such as Thailand have urged uh, non-local powers such as the United States and the UK to sort of back off against the coup government. Uh, China has blocked an attempt within the United Nations in order to con condemn the coup. Uh, other regional powers say uh, that this is an internal affair and that Myanmar should be allowed to you know, handle this itself. Coming off of the back of this most recent in the world, just like straight up open military coup, uh, Armenia's prime minister uh, says that he has been the victim of an attempted coup within his own country. Uh, this is related to his country's loss in a war uh, over a disputed region uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan uh, that occurred last year. Uh, the prime minister says that he has been the victim of a military coup and that his political opposition uh, has been supporting this coup. Now, now, this is like this is like open shit that's been happening. Um, there have been protests within the country against the prime minister uh, saying that the military, you know, should be allowed to call him to step down. Um, now, the prime minister of uh, Armenia is not like awesome, um, but he is not a military personnel. Um, and uh, his claim is that the military has no place in politics, which is, uh, yeah, something that I agree with. And that if you are an anti-fascist, you should also agree with. The election in Ecuador is our final piece of international news this week. Uh, it was a three-way race uh, between the successor of the former left liberal President Correa, um, a right-wing candidate named Lasso, and an indigenous activist um, named Perez. Um, the three-way race resulted in a 30% for the left liberal candidate, um, and then a closely contested situation um, between second and third place uh, between Lasso and Perez. Uh, Lasso is officially the second place winner, uh, which means that he will face off against Correa's successor uh, for the actual presidency. You know, uh, Ecuador has a as a two tier election system that the top two vote getters in the first round go on to the second round. Now, Perez's supporters say that irregularities are the reasons that he got third place instead of second place, and they're calling for a recount. 
that would be an extremely interesting election uh, between the left or liberal candidate and an indigenous activist candidate, um, as opposed to an election between the left liberal candidate and the right candidate uh, in which Cordelia's successor should be expected to win, uh, given that his vote count was double uh, either of his main rivals. Uh, we're going to have to see exactly how that shakes out uh, in the coming weeks. And finally, this week's See You in Hell is actually one that I missed earlier this month. Uh, we're talking about Lyndon LaRouche. Uh, Lyndon LaRouche is an extremely fascinating and deeply confusing figure uh, whose political life moved him from what I guess has to be described as the far left to the like nut job conspiratorial right wing uh, from the 1960s to the early 2000s. Uh, Lyndon LaRouche ran the National Council of Labor Committees, a para-left organization that tried to take over SDS um, back in the late 70s. He was primarily active in New York, uh, where he was contesting the rule of the SDS at Columbia University uh, against Mike Rudd, uh, who is one of the like, like, actual new left leader, like 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 a canonical new left leader person. Uh, LaRouche himself was a, you know, sort of an older person at this point already. Um, and he led this organization, uh, the National Council of Labor Committees, that sort of morphed throughout the 1970s into an international cult uh, centered on him and in his intellect and personality. Uh, the cult was focused in the United States and West Germany at the time, West Germany, um, but had branches throughout the world, you know, including Australia and other places like that. By the 1970s, uh, LaRouche and his organizations, there are a million of them, I'm not going to be able to get into all of them, uh, were meeting with the KKK, they were meeting with neo-Nazis, um, but they were also meeting with various parts of the New Right and also other conspiratorial organizations. By the 1980s uh, and 1990s, he had connections with the security state in the United States. Uh, there, there's a lot of evidence of connections between the Roosh movement people and the Reagan administration, um, both during the Iran-Contra affair and also related to the, quote, the, you know, the so-called Star Wars initiative, the strategic defense initiative that, you know, shooting down nuclear missiles with, with lasers, with terrestrial lasers, uh, which was something that we couldn't really do in the 1980s, but we kind of can now. Um, anyway, uh, the Roosh movement people also won some state primaries, notably in Illinois, uh, back in the 1980s, 1990s, they failed to be elected, but like it was a weird wake up call that these conspiratorial people were actually gaining votes. Uh, LaRouche was also a perennial presidential candidate uh, throughout his life. He ran for president almost every time that he possibly could uh, until the early 2000s. Um, he had a then a transition to a sort of like intelligence services conspiracy organization think tank group. Um, by the 1990s and 2000s, um, in the 90s and 2000s, he was released and put back in prison and put back in prison and released uh, on various charges of various kinds. The point is that LaRouche is an incredibly complicated and weird figure um, on not just the United States political stage, but on the world political stage. I highly encourage you to take a look um, if you thought QAnon was confusing, uh, take a look at LaRouche's political perspectives. Uh, they range from like saying that history is essentially Aristotelian uh, to, yeah, being connected with actual fascists uh, to wanting, you know, space laser programs to thinking that we should change the concert 
pianos tuning and that that would make our brains work better, which is a confusing figure. Anyway, uh, he died uh, February 12th, 2019. And so, Lyndon LaRouche, we will see you in hell. And that was this week's 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. Uh, I'd like to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. And if you found this podcast interesting or insightful, please share it with friends, family, or comrades. Mm -hmm.